Now, on this Invest Talk podcast, Justin Klein listens to your questions. I was wondering with my work plan, I have a bond index fund that I have a portion of my money in. At this time, do you think it would be better to keep it in this bond index fund or move it to cash? And provides unbiased answers. I'm really not a big fan of the bond index funds. Historically, they've had poor returns, especially against uh, more actively managed bond exposure. InvestDoc, over 29 million downloads and counting. My question is, when you invest in a stack like that, when is the time to take profit? Your participation makes it unique. 888-99-CHART. This podcast is produced by KPP Financial. Steve Peasley, President. KPP Financial. Independent thinking, shared success. And now today's podcast. Good afternoon, fellow investors, and welcome to Invest Talk. This is our Monday, March 1st, 2021 edition. Yep, we are past the first two months of the year. I know it's gone by fast. Uh, I know this year, so far, at least for me, has been going a lot faster than last year. But on today's program and podcast, we are going to do our best to help you navigate this very interesting and unique market environment and an economic environment things that we haven't seen for many decades and we are going to operate with the mission statement of independent thinking and shared success and that's my assurance to you our listeners that whenever i'm talking about the market explaining uh, a, a theory or a process about investing whether it's a stock commentary or industry commentary, I will be presenting all of this without bias. I'm just here to give you the facts. I have a lot of data in front of me, so I'm going to give you a bit of data, a bit of perspective, and hopefully you can utilize that to make better investment decisions. But this isn't all about investments. It's about finances in general, right? Making good money decisions is a daily process. It's not something that only happens when you make your investments. It's about saving, it's about tax situations, uh, which, you know, I'm not a CPA, but at least I have some uh, basic understanding of how the tax code works, and especially on the investment side. So I'm, I'm here to help you. I encourage you to contact us with your finance and investment questions. And when you do that, you get to shape the show to your liking. And I guarantee you, if you have a question about something, someone else probably has that same question or a similar question and the answer can help them as well so not only are you helping yourself but you are helping your fellow listeners as well so i encourage you to interact with us right now during our live stream program four to five pacific time or if you're listening after hours no problem you can leave a question anytime on our best talk voice bank and that number never changes 888-99 chart so let's get right to our first caller question now Hey guys, how are you? Just wanted to get your two cents on this stock, uh, Viper Networks, VPER. Maybe let me know what you guys think. I own a, about 200,000 shares and wanted to know if it was a good move. I did my research, but I definitely uh, appreciate your feedback. Thank you guys. All right, well, this is a penny stock. It's an Indian-based company, operates in the LED lighting product business. 
I don't have a lot of information because it's a penny stock. It's a over-the-counter stock. So you don't really get much information. All I know is the market cap's $4 million. So it's hard for me to, to give you a sense. It has pulled back pretty dramatically. It went from basically zero all the way to $0.07. Cents. Now it's at $0.02. Cents. You know, this is the perfect example of the type of companies that rally near the late stages of a bull run. Right, penny stocks. There's not information. It's just a story around. You can read what they do, but you know, do they make money? Have they made money? Uh, what's the trend of the business? I have no sense of that because there's no information. It's an OTC stock, so it's very hard to get information on over-the-counter stocks. So, not something I would be investing in because I have no basis for an investment thesis besides reading what they do, and that's very minimal okay now I know you want need and want strategies to help deal with this uncertain market environment I'm ready to take your calls on our invest talk anytime listener line at 888 chart 888 so I encourage you to reach out right now let's take a look at the market today S&P up 90 points uh, almost 3% very strong bounce back we hit Good technical support on the S&P as well as the NASDAQ last week. So not surprised that we're getting a bit of a bounce here. The question is, are we going to get some follow through, right? Remember last Tuesday afternoon into Wednesday, we had pretty good bounce and we failed the next day on Thursday. And then Friday kind of consolidated sideways and then we got a pop today. So a lot of gyrations here, certainly the fact that the 10-year didn't move up dramatically today. It actually fell about a basis point, even though the 30-year was up a, a couple basis points. But overall, you had a steady interest rate market. So that's what really is spooked the market is the speed of the rise in the 10-year rate in interest rates. And I think the market's liking that it's kind of calmed down a little bit, right? It, we're, we're now consolidating sideways. The question is, are we consolidating for a move higher or a move lower? And I think it's going to be higher. It's just a matter of how high do we get before the Fed steps in. You know, we had the Fed meeting here in a couple of weeks, and that will be pertinent as well. So, you know, do we get a follow through tomorrow? I think that will be vital to know where we go for the rest of the week. Now you're listening to Invest Talk. I'm Justin Klein. We are now into the first trading week of March. And with all that is happening, it's important to remember that during periods of market uncertainty, the task of building our financial freedom must continue. You cannot afford a backslide. So your goal will require information and effective strategies, and that's what we are here to impart on you. So your participation is vital to this. And we're taking your calls live at 888-99-CHART. There is good news for loyal InvestTalk listeners, their friends, and families. Steve and Justin have recorded a special bonus podcast, the February Rapid Fire Hour. It's a fast-paced learning podcast for the average investor. 
It's free, so be sure to tell your friends. It can be downloaded now at iTunes, Spotify, Google Play, and investtalk.com. Let's head up to Pasadena, which is here locally in L.A., and talk with Adam. He's looking at FNGU, which is the MycoStrategies FANG Plus three times leveraged ETN. Are you, do you own it or are you looking to buy it? I'm looking to buy it. I'm looking okay. for a semi-safe long-term investment that'll you know, hopefully grow. <clears throat> um, okay. Yeah. So, so the first issue here is that this is a leveraged ETF. Never own a leveraged ETF for long-term. Double, triple. There's problems with thing called tracking error. Now, when things are going well, they tend to do very, very well, right? Because they build on each other. That leverage actually works very, very well. But when, as always, there's downside, downtimes in particular areas of the market, that works the other way, right? And it works exponentially. So these type of ETFs, anything leveraged, when times are tough, they can go down 90, 95% very easily just with a 20 to 30% drop in the overall index or underlying asset class, right? So you don't want to be holding these for long periods of time. Their leveraged vehicles are trading vehicles only. Do you understand that, Adam? Yeah, so how about regular ETFs? Well, yeah, if you want to do a regular ETF, something that's not levered, Sure. Now the question is, do you want to get into this type of area of the market, the FANG stocks? That's what this is, the FANG plus index. And I'm going to say after a decade plus of the growth side of the market, the tech side of the market outperforming, this is going to be likely a decade where it underperforms to some degree. Now how much is hard to know. Um, but the FANG plus index is generally overvalued as a whole. Now some Companies within that are less overvalued, others far more overvalued, et cetera, uh, depending on what you're talking about. But that's not an area I would be overweight right now. Let's just say that because of where we are at in the market cycle. So um, I like that you're trying to think long term, but anything that would be FANG focused is going to be a small position in my book. Thanks for the call, Adam. Let's go to Sid in Canada looking at Teva Pharmaceuticals. Hi, Justin. How are you doing? Doing pretty well. Do you own Teva or are you looking to buy it? I have taken a small position in Teva, uh, but I'm thinking this is a good company to own for a long term. Uh, okay. Looks like good earning for this quarter as well as for the next year. I just like to hear your opinion before I expand my footprint. So really appreciate your opinion. Thank you so much. Yeah, no problem. All right, now, Teva is an Israeli developer of generic pharmaceuticals. And I don't know if you know anything about the pharma industry. There was a big collusion uh, issue. There's also issues with uh, generic opioids. There's a lot of regulatory problems with the industry as a whole, a lot of controversy. And Teva made a big acquisition, I forgot the name of the company, another generic pharma company, uh, right before the you-know-what hit the fan, let's just say that. And 
that levered up their balance sheet dramatically, dramatically. And they at, at a certain point, they had roughly, let's see, about $37 billion in debt. And that was in 2016, right before the industry kind of had its issues. Now, it's worked down that debt to about $26 billion, but you're talking about a market cap of $11 billion. So the company is highly indebted, and it's trying to utilize its cash flow to pay down that debt, get it, have a better balance sheet overall. So that's why I believe they cut their dividend, and you know that's the risk here, is do you want to be invested in a company that is still digging itself out of uh, some rough times. Now, I think eventually they get there. I think they have good leadership, uh, but it's going to take some time. Now, their revenue has fallen from $22 billion in 2017 to $16 billion. They've sold off some assets. Uh, there's regulatory issues, like I said, with pricing, and they cut their dividend back in 2017 to repair that balance sheet. Uh, so I think you just have to be patient with it. If you have the willingness to be patient, if you have the risk tolerance level to be invested in a company that has a rough balance sheet, right? These type of companies, if they have a bad quarter, there's more worry about whether they can uh, dig themselves out of this balance sheet hole, etc. So the volatility tends to be higher than average. But the business I like it's just you have to be patient and stomach the volatility in the near term. Eventually, once the market says, okay, the balance sheet problems are behind them, they're in a stable situation from a cash flow perspective, from a debt perspective, I think that stock will revalue much, much higher, but it might be a few years from now. Now, my focus point today involves this story. A sharp rise in bond yields causing caused volatility. The biggest monthly rise in bond yields since 2016 injected fresh uncertainty into the market last week, bruising technology stocks and triggering higher volatility. So we're going to discuss that uh, in general and try to unpack that a little bit more, see where we're at, check in on the market, uh, on the bond market, equity markets, commodity markets, uh, etc. So that's really going to be our main topic today, our main focus point, but your calls are most important, most of all. So uh, we love to hear whatever is on your mind. I know this is a difficult time. Uh, it's, a, it's an interesting time that we haven't seen. Right? Most investors, whether you've invested for 20 years, 40 years, you really have to go back 60, 70 years before you've seen a time in the investment markets that are similar, right? With rising interest rates, falling dollar, more monetary stimulus as opposed, sorry, more fiscal stimulus as opposed to monetary stimulus. Okay. So that's what we're going to unpack for you today. Now you're listening to Invest Talk. I'm Justin Klein. And for investors that need to remain vigilant, never ends. And we want to hear what, what, how do you managing? the fear and greed in your portfolio, and we should talk about whatever is on your mind. 888-99-CHART. Give us a call. The markets react to uncertainty. Are you prepared? Is your portfolio balanced? Is it optimized? Your financial future depends on the answers to those questions. 
Justin Klein is here now and ready to talk with you. Call Invest Talk, 888-99-CHART. Let's head over to L.A. and talk with Tyro. He's looking at Digital Ally. Do you own it or are you looking to buy it? Uh, so I currently own it. I own about a little over 200 shares. It's about 9% of my portfolio right now. But my dollar averages are a little over, it's about $3.51, so I have lost some money on it. And I was just wondering, should I hold it here or should I just wait for a little creep up? Or what, what do you think would be best place? Earnings the past four quarters have gone up a bit, but not sure if it's anything substantial. Yeah, I think it is a little oversold in the near term. My problem is the business is just terrible. Uh, they make basically mm-hmm. dash cams for law enforcement and commercial vehicle fleets, which sounds great. And it actually spiked up big back in June of last year when we had the George Floyd issue and it, we had the, the protests, etc. And that was an impetus for, hey, there's going to be more dash cams. That was kind of the story behind it. Well, you haven't seen much traction from the business perspective. Revenue was, was up 23% last quarter, which was better than has been in a while. They eked out a two cent profit, but they're still expected to lose 31 cents this year. And if you look at the history of their business, they they had revenues of 25 million in 2010 on 48% gross margins. Last year, they only had $10 million in revenue on 31% gross margins. So their margins shrank and their revenue shrank. And I can't imagine they're the only company that makes these dash cams. So I think this is a name that you definitely need to purge from your portfolio. A, 9% of your portfolio is way too high of a percentage of any company, but especially a company like this, $2 stock company that never really, never has made money, right? These aren't names that you want to be owning as a big percentage of your portfolio. So I would definitely be getting out of it at some point. It is a little bit oversold, but any strength I would be selling into. Thanks for the call, Tyro. Let's go to Diego in North Hollywood. He's looking at a little more established company, PayPal. Hey, Justin. How's it going? Going well. Do you own PayPal or thinking about jumping in? Yeah, um, I actually bought the dip on PayPal last week, and um, I'm just wondering what your um, long-term outlook is on this company. The problem with PayPal, like a lot of these these tech stocks, is that they multiples are just way too high. Um, you know, this is a, a name that is trading at enterprise value to revenue of 14, which is high. It's not drastically, but it's, it's high. Enterprise value to EBITDA is 46. And if you look at its growth, it's solid, but it's only in the, the low 20s. And that's with the boost from the COVID shutdowns. Pre-COVID, they were only growing in the, the high teens. So as things reopen, I think that's going to come back down uh, a, a bit. And you're trading at just very high multiples. So you know, long term, I think PayPal is a good business, but the valuation here is just on the borderline egregious. You know, our value is closer to $140 a share versus right now it's trading at 270 So it's a good company. It's just not a great time to be invested in, let's just say that. Thanks for the call. Let's go to Gary in New Jersey. He's looking at moving averages. What's your question? 
Uh, yeah, hey, Justin. I just had a general question, I guess, more uh, fundamental. When you're looking at uh, moving averages, I guess, simple moving averages, and how you, I guess, utilize them when you're looking at a chart, say, are you more so looking at, like, the 50, the 100, and the 200, and then more so also the frequency, like, what does the daily versus the weekly mean um, and how you kind of use that? I know there's other factors in, in when you're finding a buy point, but, sure. you know, maybe this is something you could shed some light on. Sure. Yeah, so if you're looking at different time frames on a chart, you the, the longer time frames always have more impact, right? So a uh, 50-week moving average is a more powerful support level than a 50-day moving average. So that's the first thing. Second off, which moving average is most impactful depends on the security you're speaking of. Now, my favorite is the 100. 100 is the, the, the strongest support in my book for most stocks, but other stocks tend to be less volatile and their 50 is more of support, whereas other stocks are more volatile and the 200-day can be a, a better support. So you have to look at the history of at least the recent move, especially, and where it found major support. For example, the S&P. Really since June, when it broke above its 100-day moving average, it's found good support there in September, in November. And if we get back there again, that's likely to be pretty good support as well. But the more you hit on a particular support level, like a moving average, the weaker it gets. Okay, so you really, so to me, I'm, I'm thinking, hey, if the S&P breaks that 100, that is a big signal that the trend, this uptrend since March is over because it's held that 100-day. That's been a very strong support level. Whereas, like I said, other indexes that maybe have powered a little bit higher, more consistently, maybe the 50-day is a better arbiter of the trend. Hope that helps. Here's new Invest Talk. I'm Justin Klein. We posted a new Invest Talk Rapid Out Fire bonus podcast. Steve and I recorded our answers to 30 voice bank questions, and we do it at a rapid pace. You still get our unbiased comments, but we move things quickly along. You can tell your friends and family about it. Give me a call at 888-99-CHART ebay motors is here for the ride remember when you first saw the potential and then through some elbow grease fresh installs and a whole lot of love you transformed 100,000 miles and a body full of rust into a drive that's all your own look to your left look to your right it is official no one's got a ride like this there's nothing else that sounds like feels like or looks like the set of wheels in your garage with over 122 million parts, you can make sure your number one ride or die stays running smoothly so there's no limit to how far you can take it. Brake kits, turbochargers, engines, exhaust kits, roof racks, LED headlights, bumpers, whatever your baby needs, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus, at these prices, well, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. 
Exclusions apply. At this point, I think almost everyone has heard how generative AI promises to bring us to the next industrial revolution. AI is already shaping society with an impact on daily life that echoes the transformative significance of electricity or the internet. As we take steps to embrace the potential of generative AI, we need to remain vigilant with regard to its exploitability. This is where HackerOne comes in. HackerOne's AI Red Team addresses the novel challenges of AI safety and security for businesses that are launching new AI deployments. The HackerOne approach involves targeted offensive testing by harnessing the collective skills of ethical hackers who are proficient in AI and prompt hacking. In short, AI red teaming is the practice of stress testing AI models and deployments to make sure they can't be tricked into providing information beyond their intended use, and that security flaws can't be exploited to access confidential data or systems. HackerOne seamlessly integrates with your existing tools to enhance communication and collaboration across development, security, and IT teams. So, stay ahead of the game in the battle against cyber threats with HackerOne's Attack Resistance Platform. Learn more at HackerOne.com. That's H-A-C-K-E-R-O-N-E.com. HackerOne.com. It's an Invest Talk Monday. Justin Klein is here taking your questions live. How is your portfolio doing? Are you prepared for continuing volatility? You've got questions. Call Invest Talk, 888 99Chart. Let's head over to Canada again and talk with Nathan. He wants to talk about index funds. Hi, how are you doing? Um, yeah, so. I was wondering, with my work plan, I have a bond index fund that I have a portion of my money in. At this time, do you think it would be better to keep it in this bond index fund or move it to cash? Because interest rates uh, are That is tough. I, I'm really not a big fan of the bond index funds. Historically, they've had poor returns, especially against uh, more actively managed bond exposure. The main reason is because treasury rates, uh, you, you typically are going to get longer term, whatever that coupon rate is on the treasury when you buy it. And as we, our deficit explodes here in the US, I know you're up in Canada, but uh, Canadian debt is exploding as well. So I'm assuming you're speaking about the aggregate bond index though. The percentage of government bonds in that are, are going to explode because it's looking at the entire universe of bonds and weighting them accordingly, right? How much of how much bonds are outstanding? How much is treasuries versus uh, corporates versus munis versus uh, others, etc. And as our debt explodes, treasuries are going to be a bigger part of that, and the yields are just so very low. So now I wouldn't say cash is a great place to be either and that's the difficult part of workplace retirement accounts is your choices are very limited that's why we say you should roll them out of your into an ira when you can um how does that work in canada can you roll that into some sort of other type of account uh, right now i i can only, i could remove it from my workplace account into a private rsp account as long as mm -hmm. 
yeah, I do a, a direct transfer. That is a possibility. And then I could, yeah, I'm wondering about my fixed assets, where they should be right now, really. Yeah, that's that's what I would do if you can get into an RSP. I definitely would do that. Now, if you're looking, if you're saying, okay, I still want to have fixed income exposure, how do I gain exposure? Well, the first thing would be to be investing in high-grade corporates. I think that's probably the best, bet, better risk versus reward on the than treasuries, for example. Um, I think foreign governments denominated in other currencies. You know, Canada is different a little bit. Um, you know, I'm always talking typically to U.S. citizens, uh, but I, I, Canada is, is similar in in their fiscal uh, issues. And I think other, especially Asian currencies, are going to appreciate in relation to the U.S. And I would rather own fixed income in those markets. So emerging market bond funds, I think that's a great place to be as an alternative, better yields, uh, tailwind from currency appreciation there. I think that's not a bad place to be. Um, so that's how I would think about fixed income exposure in this type of environment. Hope that helps, helps right, Nathan. Nathan and uh, get, try to get that into that RSP if you can. Now, my focus point today involves the story of rising bond yields. And we've seen this feed into all parts of the market. You know, the mortgage rate is at about three and a quarter percent now on a 30 year, which we haven't seen in quite some time. And this is going to have some impact on the housing market, but frankly, not that much, right? Because inventory is limited. And so if you want to buy a house, it might affect your affordability some, but guess what? There's going to be somebody behind you, probably with a lot of cash. So I don't think it's going to have an impact on the housing market too much in the near term with inventories at such such low levels. But if you're going to refinance, clearly that opportunity may have passed you by. Um, now the bigger question though is what will treasury rates of one point, where are we at now? Close today, 1.446 on the 10 year, the 30 year at 2.22. Remember the 30 year was at 0.702 just back in March of last year. We were as high as 2. Point, what? 2.4ish? 2.34? That's a gigantic move in the fixed income market. You know, you're talking about more than doubling or more than tripling the yield on the 30-year treasury. And this has been driven by higher inflation expectations. And this has caught the market by surprise a bit. Reuters pulled 60 analysts in December, just a couple months ago. And the medium forecast for 1.2% for the 10-year treasury rate over the next year. So by the end of this year, well, guess what? We're past that already by about 25 basis points. And this is bringing fear to the market that this could be similar to the taper tantrum. I don't know if you remember this back in 2013 when the Fed said they're going to taper their bond purchases. Well, I think the market's wondering right now, what will 
the Fed do in a couple weeks? Are they going to allow the bond market to continue to sell off, allow rates to rise, to, and potentially crimp, crimp economic activity? Or are they going to use this excuse saying, hey, this is a positive sign because inflation expectations are rising and this is being reflected in the bond market. Now back then, corporate bonds sold off sharply and you can see that today most likely if they don't step in or don't hint at least at stepping in. And so these higher yields are giving a little boost to the dollar. So that's one thing. So that's kind of a positive after, what, about a 16 17% decline in the dollar since the March highs. Financial stocks are doing well, up about 5.14%, where the S&P is up about 3% on the year. So it's giving a little bit of life to areas of the market that haven't had a lot of life recently. The cyclical stocks. Now the non-cyclical stocks like staples, utilities, those are underperforming. Yes, the utility sector is only up 1.3% for the year. I've talked about this before. You have to understand the underlying economic environment to know what type of sectors should be overweight or underweight within your portfolio. So in a rising interest rate environment, you need to be pay extra attention and throw out the 2010s playbook. This is the 2020s. It's a different decade and a different playbook needed. Now let's keep things flowing and go straight back to the Invest Talk Voice Bank for a question that came in earlier from North Carolina on 888-99-CHART. Hey, Justin and Steve, this is Darren in Charlotte, North Carolina. I've got a question for you about VGAC, which is VG Acquisition Corp. It's a back. I had bought some a little while back because I had read an article that they might merge or have 23andMe go public through them. And I just read today that it's confirmed that that's going to happen. So the stock is actually rising. My question is, when you invest in a SPAC like that, when is the time to take profits? For instance, do I take them prior to 23andMe going public? Or do I keep my VGAC stock and wait till after that they go public? I'm just not sure when the best time is to, I guess, quote unquote, cash out of a SPAC. I appreciate any help. Thanks so much. Bye. Well, there's not a uniform answer for this because just like any normal equity, it depends on the company, the valuation that's trading at, the future prospects of the business. Right Now you know that they're, they're acquiring a company. Do you like that acquisition? Yes, you might know the name 23andMe, but is that a good business? And when I say good business, what type of cash flows are they going to have? What kind of earnings? What kind of sales growth? Earnings growth? I don't know that yet. I can't see anything until you have that merger. They will probably change their ticker symbol as well. So understand that you'll probably show it'll probably show up in your account, and VGAC will be gone, and a new ticker symbol will be in there. Uh, there will be different capital structure, right, based on that deal. These SPAC structures are very complex. They can be complex pre-acquisition and post-acquisition. There's warrants that go to the sponsor, and that can be complex. 
So you really have to understand the complexities within this investment vehicle to know whether should buy, sell, hold, give it away, right? So I can't give you that answer yet because I would have to really dig into this. But that's now your job. You have to dig into this and find out whether that 23andMe acquisition is a good buy. Maybe it bought, was paid, Maybe they paid too much. Maybe the sponsors are getting way too big of uh, warrants and diluting you, the equity holder. You have to do research on it. Don't just go based on the story. I know a lot of people are investing based on a story. And the stories only work so long. Eventually, economic gravity comes back, comes back to the market, and things revalue back to where they should be in the first place. Now that we've settled into a new year, I think it's worth taking a minute to make you aware of some of the benefits of working with myself and Steve Peasley through our company, KPP Financial. First off, if you don't know, we're, in base, we're based in Irvine, California, which is in Orange County, just south of L.A., and just like here on Invest Talk, we operate with the philosophy of independent thinking and shared success, which means we implement unbiased guidance and we practice parallel investing, which means we invest right alongside our clients. So I encourage you to take advantage of to offer for our offer of a free portfolio review assessment via telephone, Skype, or go to meetings. You can send us a message through investtalk.com or call KPP Financial Office in Irvine, California at 800-557-5461. And after you speak with one of us for 10 minutes or so, you'll see how Steve and I could make a difference in your portfolio and strategy. There's no obligation. We just love to talk, love to help you. Now we'll get back to your questions next. There is good news for loyal InvestTalk listeners, their friends, and families. Steve and Justin have recorded a special bonus podcast, the February Rapid Fire Hour. This free podcast is available for download anytime. Typically, each day and night, the Invest Talk Call Center receives more voicemail questions than Steve and Justin can fit into a live show format. So in the bonus program, caller questions will be played back from our voice bank and answered with brief, unbiased, and helpful responses. The first segment of the Rapid Fire Hour is hosted by Justin Klein, and Steve Peasley handles the second half. It's a fast-paced learning podcast for the average investor. It's free, so be sure to tell your friends. It can be downloaded now at iTunes, Spotify, Google Play, and investtalk.com. Look for Rapid Fire Hour. Hi, my name is Chris in uh, Washington State. I was calling with a question about National Beverage Corporation, Fizz, F-I-Z-Z. And just in the recent week, it kind of been going all over the place. And I was wondering if that was tied into a, a special dividend it gave out and what you guys thought of that as a long-term play. I've had it for about 10 years, and it's just been kind of crazy to watch it this past week. And just be curious to know what your thoughts are. Thanks. All right, looking at National Beverage Corp. Fizz is a symbol, F-I-Z-Z. They are the maker of... LaCroix, LaCroix, however you want to say it. And they've been a strong grower throughout the last 10 years or so. Revenues trailing 12 months, about a billion dollars. It's trading at about a $4.5 billion market cap. They have no debt. Very, very good business. And I like that. I like that they have this very sound business with good profits, 
good cash flow, trailing 12 months, about $177 million in free cash flow. But at a $5 billion valuation, that's a little, four and a half, that's a little steep, right? You're talking about enterprise value to EBITDA, about 17 for a beverage company that's now growing mid single digits pre pandemic. They were actually had their, their revenue was, were shrinking. Um, and so I think he, this, the special dividend was just saying, Hey, we have this cash flow. We don't want to buy back shares for whatever reason. Maybe they thought their, their shares were too expensive. So paying out a dividend, I think is probably actually a better way to go. If you feel your shares are expensive. And I think that's the signal there that, Hey, uh, we have this cash flow and we didn't want to buy back shares with it. We wanted to pay a dividend, even when they don't typically pay a dividend. And their shares, yeah, this, it's been static since 2017, 94 million shares outstanding. So I like the business. Profitability is very strong, um, but I think it's just very expensive at these levels. And you had this recent spike up. Uh, sound seems like it's similar to, or uh, related to GameStop and the Gamma Squeeze, et cetera. I would ignore that and I would be looking at it at its own merits. And to me, this is a business that is just too slow growing for its multiple and I would be trimming my position at these levels. 8899 chart, 8892 We are heading into the final segment of today's show. It's been a great Monday and we have so many calls. We're just trying to get to as many as possible and we love that. We love that you are calling in, being a part of the show. It's It really drives us and that's why we do it. We want to hear what is on your mind and that's why we do this every single weekday. Now, this is Invest Talk. I'm Justin Klein and we have one goal each and every day on Invest Talk is to help you achieve your own version of financial freedom. And our work continues after this final break at 888 chart You are listening to Invest Talk. Every Friday on the program and the podcast, Steve Peasley shares highlights from the newest edition of the KPP Premium Newsletter. Listen Fridays to Invest Talk. And now, Steve and Justin welcome your calls and questions. 888-99-CHART. Let's head over to Owen in North Carolina. He's looking at UVXY. Hi. Yeah, I um, bought a position in UVXY a couple weeks ago at around $9. And uh, I sold off about a third of my uh, shares at when it was at around 10 and uh, I held on to the rest and now I'm at a bit of a loss so I'm wondering if you think I should just sell those and and then take the loss or keep going and then also I was wondering what you think about CBAT ticker ticker symbol CBAT well UVXY that's definitely a trading vehicle so I like that you're trading out of it quickly now today was obviously a rough day down a dollar two if it breaks Thursday's low which was, you know, big reversal in the UVXY. Uh, and, and actually, you know what? Scratch that. I would be looking at the VIX. You always want to be looking at the VIX. The UVXY is too kind of all over the place. I would look at Thursday's low on the VIX, which is right around, let's see, about 21, about 22. 
Now the VIX closed today at 23.35. If you close the daily, close below that, then I would say I'd be out of the UBXY. But I think Thursday could have been a shot across the bow for higher volatility in the near term. Uh, and then CBAT, let's see, what is this one? CBAC Energy Technology. Is this the battery company? Yes. Okay. Uh, I do like batteries. The problem is, is that they, this is a, a terribly run company historically. Although right now the demand for batteries is extremely high. And so, you know, does that environment bring them back to some sort of level of profitability? Probably. My problem is they're just historically terrible at running their business. So I would be looking at other battery producers over CBAT. Thanks for the call. Let's go to Hank in Japan. He wants to talk about bond funds. Hi, how you doing? Doing well. What do you want to know about bond okay, funds? Okay, great. Yeah, I've got a question for you about bond funds. I'm a semi-retired guy in my 60s working with a 60-40 kind of equities cash slash bonds plan. Uh, last winter, I was looking at what to do, and I put a bunch of money into Fidelity uh, Intermediate bond uh -huh. fund and the Vanguard. So that's FXNAX and VBILX. Thinking that as basically an alternative to cash that would give me a couple of percentage of interest. And uh, it worked out pretty well. But lately, that they've both been going down to the point where I'm kind of at my cost basis or below. So my general thinking, and I just want to check with you, is that if I'm getting 2% uh, interest out of those funds, then I can afford to go down like 2% below my cost basis. And it still makes sense to keep them. But I want to sell a I want to set a kind of stop level, where I basically sell them before I lose money. Because I mean, my my intention with this is just to park some cash here, basically. Well, that's the issue here is that you are parking cash in a risky vehicle. And I know it's I know when you think about bonds you think of low risk and that can be true, but in this environment with rates so low and the convexity of there's something called convexity of bonds. When you have such low interest rates, it doesn't take a whole lot of an increase to have big losses in these bond funds, especially when you have a lot of duration risk. And that's what you're taking here is a lot of duration risk. Or not, not a ton, but a decent amount. And so if you're going to consistently be taking that duration risk, then you are having pretty high risk for the amount of reward that you're getting. So that's why I don't like these big, broad bond indexes, because the indexes are heavily in in uh, in government bonds, for example, the the Fidelity one that's forty five percent in government, way way too high with such a low low rate right now. And so, if you want cash, I would be looking at shorter term. I would I would even argue junk versus this short term high grade corporates. I think that's a much better place to be. You don't have the duration risk, and with fiscal stimulus coming, I. I think that'll support the corporate market better than the government market, which is likely to continue to sell off over the longer term. Thanks for the call, Hank. I'm Justin Klein. This completes another Invest Talk program. DPZ and I thank you for listening. And we encourage you to tell your friends and family about our free podcast downloads. 
which they can find at iTunes, Spotify, or Google Play. And as always, investtalk.com. And be sure to rate and review. Now, we post a new program each weekday shortly after the end of our live stream broadcast, which concludes at 5 p.m. Pacific time. Independent thinking, shared success. This is Invest Talk. Good night. Because of the nature of the interactive dialogue inherent in the format of this program, it's important for the listener to understand that not all comments made will apply to them specifically. Nothing said shall be taken to be investment advice, or shall statements on this program be considered an offer to buy or sell securities. Such advice is rendered solely on an individual basis, and at times will require that the investor review a prospectus before investing. InvestTalk is a copyrighted program of Klein Pavlis Peasley Financial, a registered investment advisor, which retains all rights. For more information regarding KPP's investment advisors, call 1-800-557-5461.